0: Guys, today I am sitting down with Gretchen Rubin. Yes, the Gretchen Rubin of The Happiness Project, of The Happiness Podcast, of The Four Tendencies, of basically every intelligent nonfiction book written in the last decade. I was so excited to talk to her about all the things. I literally jumped through all of her books like a proper book nerd and got so much wisdom, so many great quotes from her. You are going to love today's episode. I'm Rachel Hollis, and I've built a multi-million dollar media company with a high school diploma and the free information I found on the internet. In the 15 years that I've been building and scaling my company, I have become deeply passionate about helping other entrepreneurs to do the same. So each week, I'll be sharing tangible and tactical advice and inspiring interviews with the same intention. These are the tools to change your life and your business. This is the Rise Podcast. I feel like I can't really believe that I am talking to Gretchen Rubin right now. It's kind of tripping me out because I have listened to you on your own podcast and on other people's podcasts for so long, have read the books, have done all the things. It feels like I feel like I'm all grown up to be able to get a guest like you on the show. So thank you so much for coming on. Oh, I'm
1: so happy to be talking to you. I know. I feel like we know each other well because I've read all your stuff. I mean, how is it that we haven't like gone on vacation to the Poconos together yet?
0: I, I agree. I'm ready for that. <laughs> I'm ready for that when you are ready for that. Um, will you tell if, if by chance someone listening has been living under a rock and they do not know who you are, will you tell us about yourself?
1: Yes, I'm a writer and um, I write about human nature. So I'm probably best known for my book, The Happiness Project. And I also wrote a book called Better Than Before, which is all about habit change the four tendencies, which is all about a personality profile that divides people into four personality types. And I have a new book called Outer Order, Inner Calm, uh, Declutter and Organize to Make More Room for Happiness. And I also have a podcast called Happier with Gretchen Rubin, where um, every week I talk about ideas about how to be, you know, spoiler alert, how to be happier Um, with my co-host, who is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft, who's like a fancy showrunner in Hollywood. So we talk about tips and concrete, manageable ideas and hacks um, about how to be happier.
0: Yeah. And I I am a consumer of all the things. Um, In fact, it is is funny. I was like, to prepare for this, I had sent someone. I'm like, hey, just go get everything you can find of hers at Barnes & Noble. Uh, And it's a stack, sister. So (laughs) congratulations. Um, I want to talk about, I I really want to dig into the different, I know you have a new book and I want to be able to dig into the different ones because what I think is so incredible about what you do that I admire so much as someone who also writes nonfiction, is you are really taking on totally different um angles like uh, on on some level i'm kind of like i don't want to say that i'm writing the same thing but i'm trying to teach my audience kind of the same narrative as i take them through a journey and i love that you are teaching them so many different things so can we start with the happiness project can we start there yeah. So tell tell us where and guys, I'm not. I'm really not exaggerating this. Every single book that I, we're talking about today, you have to go buy. Like Aww. you have to go if you don't already have them. If they're not already your Bible, you got to go dig in. But tell us about how that came to be.
1: So I was finishing up my book that was called Forty Ways to Look at JFK, and I'm sure you you know this from your own writing. When you're finishing up a book, but it hasn't hit the shelves yet, there's kind of this open space, because your job is kind of done, and the next. The next stage of your job has not yet come. And so I had a little moment of reflection and I was stuck on a city bus in the pouring pouring rain and I looked out the window and I thought, what do I want from life anyway? You know, I had one of these rare opportunities for reflection and I thought, I want to be happy. And I thought, I say that, but I don't spend any time thinking about whether I am happy or whether I could be happier and I thought, you know, I should have a happiness project. And that was the, the phrase that came to me. And I was like, all of a sudden, like, oh, my gosh, I want to do this. And I, I, I did what I always do, which is I ran to the library and got this giant stack of book about happiness because I was like ancient philosophy, contemporary scientists, pop culture, memoirs, novels like what what can you make yourself happier? What is happiness? Um And so I decided that what I would do for my happiness project is take a year because a year feels short enough to be manageable, but long enough that you could actually achieve some something measurable and pick 12 themes of things that, given my research, I thought were likely to make me happier and that were priorities in my own life. And each month I would because I'm a systematic person, I would focus on something like work or friendship or love or, you know, whatever it might be and give myself a handful of concrete, practical, manageable resolutions that would actually potentially make a difference. Because I think a lot of times you read about happiness and you're like, oh, it seems so abstract. It's not that I disagree with it, but I just don't even understand how to relate this to my own life. So I was trying to take these big abstract principles and figure out ways to kind of make them happen in my life. And then I just kept saying like, and then so so the happiness project is basically the report of what I tried, why I tried what I tried and what I found. When I tried, um, <laughs> yes. you know, and so it's um, I was sort of my own guinea pig.
0: Yeah. And what were the things that like what were your biggest takeaways?
1: Well, one of the things that was really interesting to me and has become more and more obvious and, and true for me as I've gone uh, gone through uh, the, my subsequent research is is that, you know, there is no magic one size fits all solution. And people want to say like, the secret to life is to get up at 6am and go running first thing or, you know, and, or, or, you know, everyone should have 100 friends or, or, and it's like, well, maybe (laughs) every we're all different. And, and we're happiest when we have a life that reflects our own interests, our own values, our own temperament, our own, you know, um, character. And the more that I tried to unknow myself and shape my my life around what was true about me instead of some fantasy self or the way I I assumed I should be or what other people expected me to be then I became happier so that one thing that like we each have to figure it out for ourselves that everyone's happiness project would be different Mm -hmm. um was was really kind of important for me because I was like well just tell me the best things to do and I'll do them and it's like well nobody can write that list only you can write that list for yourself
0: yeah, I think – so I became aware of you for the first time when one of my good friends I, – I was going through a hard time and mm-hmm. she – I was going through a hard time as a mom mm-hmm. and she gave me this quote. She was like, Gretchen Rubin, act the way you want to feel. Yes. Act the way, act the way you want to feel. And I was like – it was like – it seems like the simplest thing. It seems like something we should all already know but it was an epiphany to me. Will you talk everybody through that idea?
1: Well, yeah, I'm so glad to hear that struck a chord with you, especially at a tough time. Um, Yeah, this is a kind of a well-established psychological principle that we think that or we assume that we act because of the way we feel. But to a very large degree, we feel because of the way we act. So it's like your brain, your brain is thinking, wow, there's so much yelling and slamming of doors around here. I guess we're really angry. And then that amplifies your feeling of anger. And so what this means is you can use this to your advantage. So, like, let's say you're feeling very sluggish. If you act with more energy, if you walk more quickly, if you talk with more energy, you will start to feel more energetic Or if you're feeling really shy and you're like, okay, I'm just going to pretend to be really friendly and outgoing, you will start to feel more outgoing. Um, If you are feeling very resentful or angry at someone in your life and you think, okay, I'm just going to show my gratitude for for this person, you will actually start to boost feelings of gratitude. Or like, you know, don't wait until you feel like kissing your sweetheart. because. Just go ahead and kiss. And from the kiss comes the feeling of affection. So this is a a lot of times we feel much like our emotions are just happening to us. But this is a this is one of the many ways where we can actually direct our emotional um, our emotional state. I think it's very hard to just like sit there and change your emotional state from the inside. So I'm always looking for like, what can you do on the outside
0: to go in
1: and acting the way you want to feel is a way to do something? It's you can you can make your you can't make yourself feel loving. But you care or at least I can't, but I can make myself kiss my husband. And then if kissing mm-hmm. my husband makes me feel lo- loving, well then problem solved.
0: Yeah. I mean, the one for me, that's super powerful. And my husband now does it as well for the same reason is you're pulling into the garage at night after you've been working all day. We have four kids. Yes. So Mommy many, Olympics. So many, so many kids, right? So many. And kids. <laughs> I'm like, I'm tired. And yeah. all I want to do is like, go put on my pajamas and yeah. just veg out in my room. And that's not a possibility. Yeah. So if I will act the way I want to feel. If I will act so excited, oh my gosh, I'm so yes. pumped see these babies and give them, like within two minutes, you feel that way. Yes. So yes. that was like so hugely impactful for me. And just know that, you know, moms all over the place are spreading, the, <laughs> spreading your yeah. message around the world. Well,
1: and then your, your, your illustration points out another aspect of this, which is also important, which is the way you behave very much influences the way people behave toward you. And so if you walk in and you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm so happy to be home. Come give me a hug. Everybody's going to be like, oh, yay, mommy, someone comes running in. If you kind of slink in and are hoping nobody notices you, then they're going to be like, oh, you know, they're not going to give you that big response. And so it can it by acting friendly, people act more friendly toward you. Like if you smile more, people smile more at you. And then you feel like you're living in a friendlier universe. So part Mm -hmm. of it is also that feedback.
0: How much does? I mean, I feel like now uh, the everybody's talking about mindset. Everybody, yeah. Uh, But I mean, you wrote this book. What? What was it? Two thousand nine? Is it that long ago? Yes. Yeah. I just had
1: the tenth anniversary.
0: Congratulations! Thank Thank
1: you. So,
0: so how much of of this journey for you was about learning to? shift your mindset and change the way that you were thinking? And was that something that you felt like was easy to find information about at the time? Because now I feel like it's so popular, but I got to assume a decade ago, it wasn't as uh, prevalent.
1: It's interesting because one of the things I love to read is like ancient philosophy and like the great essayist from the 18th century. And those folks were talking (laughs) about all this.
0: That is the fanciest thing anyone has ever said to me. Congratulations. No, no,
1: (laughs) believe me. No, you know, if you have a taste for something like Samuel Johnson, it's definitely a guilty pleasure. It's not a guilty pleasure for everyone, but it's like he he gets all these zingers in, Um, you know, and so a lot of these truths are too ancient and too important to be new uh, because Mm -hmm. the greatest minds in history have, have been talking about this. They will use a different vocabulary and maybe they don't have the research to back it up or whatever, but a lot of these ideas ideas are out there, um, but maybe in different words, but um, certainly seeing the research is, fa- is very fascinating and seeing how people can like try to tease it and understand like why certain things might be true. But I felt like a lot of these ideas were familiar to me from reading like the, you know, you know, William Hazlett or whatever
0: hmm I mean, I love that your guilty pleasure is ancient philosophy and like legitimately my guilty pleasure is Harlequin romance novels. So we're basically the same. I've person. read a Harlequin novel myself. <laughs> yes. There's room
1: for a lot of different kinds of guilty pleasures.
0: Yeah. Um, I would love to segue into the four tendencies yes. because I feel like I I can't remember which podcast it was, but I remember listening to you describe this on a podcast. And again, it was sort of like mind blowing for me. And I am obsessed with any kind of personality, mm. anything. So I love the Enneagram. I love DISC. I love anything that sort of helps yeah. us dig deeper into why we do what we do. Uh, will you talk listeners through this book?
1: Yes, so The Four Tendencies is a personality profile that I came up with um, c- coming out of my book Better Than Before, which is all about habit change, to try to, to explain certain habit patterns in why people could and couldn't successfully change their habits. I was trying to understand that, and I kind of stumbled on this framework. And it looks at how people meet expectations or resist expectations, which sounds super boring but ends up being actually quite juicy.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: um, so, so the, the so, uh and there is a quiz. If you go to quiz.gretchenrubin.com, you can take the free quiz. It's like 11 questions. Two million people have taken this quiz and it will spit out an answer and it'll give you a, a report on yourself. But a lot of people don't even need to take the quiz because I'll just briefly describe it and people instantly know what they are. Um mm-hmm. So it's whether you're an upholder, a questioner, an obliger or a rebel. Those are the four. So We all face two kinds of expectations, outer expectations like a work deadline or a request from a friend and inner expectations, my own desire to keep a New Year's resolution, my own desire to do a better job of washing my face every night. Um, That's my own inner expectation. So upholders regularly meet outer and inner expectations. So they they keep the work deadline they keep the new year's resolution without much fuss they want to know what other people expect from them but their expectations for themselves are just as important so their motto is discipline is my freedom then there are questioners questioners question all expectations they'll do something if it makes sense So, they are making everything an inner expectation. If it meets their inner standard, they will do it, no problem. If it fails their inner standard, they will push back. They resist anything arbitrary, inefficient, uh, unjustified. They always need to know why. And their motto is I'll comply if you convince me why. Then there are obligers. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. And I got my insight into this tendency. This was sort of the origin of the whole. Tendencies framework was when a friend said to me, "The thing that's weird is I know I'm happier when I exercise." And when I was in high school, I was on the track team, and I never missed track practice. So why can't I go running now? Mm. Well, when she had a yep. team and a coach expecting her to show up, no problem. But when she was trying to go on her own, it's a struggle. So the so obligers need outer accountability to meet those inner expectations. So their motto is, "You can count on me, and I'm counting on you." To count on me. Then finally, rebels. Rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. They can do anything they want to do, anything they choose to do. But if you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist. And typically, they don't even like to tell themselves what to do. Like They wouldn't sign up for a 10 a.m. spin class on Saturday because they're going to think, I don't know what I want to. I just want to wake up on Saturday and see what I feel like doing. And I just the fact <laughs> somebody's expecting me to show up is going to annoy me. Um, and their motto is "You can't make me, and neither can
0: I." Wow. Um, so those are the four. And what are you? I'm an upholder. I'm an upholder too, like without question. <laughs> yeah. And I'm married to an obliger. Ah. And this is what like blew my mind when I heard you on this podcast and when I picked up the book for the first time is I am both internally and externally motivated. And my husband is only externally motivated. Mm-hmm. So he, if he has a coach, if he has a yep. boss, if he has someone yep. who is asking him, he will kill it. Yeah. But if it's exactly what you said, if like he, you know, for years he was like, oh, I just want to get in shape. And I'm like, go to the gym, like yes. stop eating you yes. know, McDonald's. Yep. But it, I like could not understand why it was like we were speaking totally different languages. Yes. And I remember when you were explaining this, I was like, oh my gosh, that's us.
1: Ah, uh, that's interesting. Well, it's interesting because there there are diff- there aren't the same number of the four tendencies. So obliger is the largest tendency for both men and women. So your husband's okay. part of the largest. I um, mean after that, questioner. Uh, my husband's a questioner. Um okay. the smallest tendency is rebel. Um and the and only slightly larger than rebel is upholder. So you and I are okay. p- kind of part of
0: fringe personality types. And uh, is there like is there any um sort of study into like are people who are upholders like are they more successful in business? Like, mm. is there anything like that?
1: Well, you know, it's hard. It, the thing about it is, is that each of these tendencies includes people who are wildly successful and also big losers. And each <laughs> tendency has its strengths, but then also its corresponding weaknesses and sure. limitations. And so, when you look at why somebody's successful in something, there's so many aspects of personality that that will influence whether someone's successful or not. But what I think is true is that um, if you're looking at an individual person, they do better when they're in a place where it doesn't go against the grain of their of their natural tendency. So, like, let's say you have mm-hmm. a questioner, and this questioner is in a workplace where it's like, "Hey, listen, we're all team players here. We get the word from corporate, and we execute. Like, we're all here together, and we're here to do what you want us to do." A questioner's gonna be like, "I'm not here to do uh, like." the fact that corporate tells us to do it. Like, I don't know if I agree with that. Like, this doesn't make any sense to me. Like no one's explaining to me why we're switching to this other software. And that might not help that questioner in that workplace, but at a different workplace, that aspect of the questioner's nature might be highly rewarded. And so I think it's a, it's a matter of fit and getting yourself into a place where, uh, your, your, all of your natural characteristics are a plus, for instance, rebels often do well in sales because in sales, a lot of times the message is really listen, man, whatever you got to do to get this sale. Yeah. You got to do it. And a rebel feels totally comfortable with that. Whereas I'm like, but what are the rules and what are the deadlines? (laughs) And like, I feel like this isn't right. And you know, he wants me to like, give him a little flexibility here, but this is what corporate says, you know, like that would not, I would not do well like that. Mm-hmm. So it's it's more about match. It's more about like finding a good match.
0: And are there like for instance if you if you're looking at the four tendencies, you have this um it's like a Venn diagram yes. of how they overlap with each other. So are there like um uh, you can't see my hands. I'm talking with my hands right now, but like people who are in opposition, like you're describing a yep. rebel to me and it's like, it makes my yep. skin crawl because yep. I'm like, what? You can't, yep. there's no way to motivate yep. yourself. I don't understand. So yes. um, how does that work in, in terms of like relationships?
1: Well, it's so funny that you say that because I remember before even I uh, had come up with this framework, I was talking to a woman and which who I now know, she's sort of like one of my, my seminal rebels, because this conversation is like seared in my brain because she said so many things that were just blowing my, mind. But I told her I was writing a book about habits and she literally took a step back from me because for her, <laughs> the idea of a, of, a, of a life governed by habits was so loathsome. Whereas to me, this sounded great. I'm like, yeah, lo- Bring them on. More habits, yes. the more the better. So you're right. Upholder and Rebel is a tough combination because their values are so uh, misaligned. Upholders tend to love planning and to-do lists and calendars and execution. And if anything, they can get kind of rigid. It's hard for them to be flexible. It's hard for them to change at the last minute. Um... They kind of want to stay on course once they're on a course, whereas rebels have a very high value of spontaneity. Like whenever anybody's talking about spontaneity, I immediately suspect that they're a rebel. Um, They want to do what they feel like doing. If they want to change, they want to change. Yesterday, this was the priority. Today, this is the priority. Um, I'm not interested in like I I feel like cleaning the basement at 2 a.m. Yeah, maybe it's not the most efficient time, but that's what I feel like doing. And so that is a tough combination. Uh, And in fact, what's interesting about rebels is when rebels are paired up, either in romance or in like a team, like a founding team of a company, if one person is a rebel, almost always the other person is an obliger. That is a Mm -hmm. very that's that's the team that works best. If there's a rebel, almost always it's with an obliger.
0: Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more debit card users listen up you've worked hard for your money now it's time to make it work even harder for you with discover cashback debit everyone can get cash back on everyday debit card purchases that's right earn on things like gas groceries and even that midday latte and to top it off there are no fees period yep That means you won't be charged fees on your checking account. Transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. So how does knowing what you are, how does, how does understanding your personality better, how does it help you to make change in your life?
1: Well, I mean, you and your husband are a great example because for you as an upholder, you're like, I need to exercise. I'm going to figure out a program, put it on the calendar, then I'm going to do that. So that's great. But then what about your husband? Well, if, you knew, if I knew that your husband was an obliger, I'd say, okay. What you need is outer accountability. So do you can you take a class? Can you work out with yep. a friend who's gonna be annoyed if you don't show up? Can you think of your duty to be a role model for your children? You want them to see you making exercise and a healthy life a priority, and you also want them to see you keeping your promises to yourself. So you owe it to your children. What about your future self? Um, if you come to the end of 2019 and you're no further along in your health goals, are you gonna be really disappointed in yourself? Can you work, can you have a, a coach, a health coach? You know. I have this app, The Better App. It's this free app. And people form accountability groups there just on anything, writing their PhD thesis, uh, gardening, whatever it is. Yeah. You know, So just get the accountability. If it's a rebel who's not exercising, well, I wouldn't do that at all because that would be very counterproductive because rebels don't like people looking over their shoulders or telling them what to do. So for a rebel, I'd be like, but you know what? you're an athlete, you know, growing up, you love sports. You love games. You like, you love using your body. Yeah. You've fallen away from that a little bit right now, but Hey, work can't control you. Like you're not going to be a slave to your <laughs> desk. You're going to get outside maybe on your lunch hour. Cause you're an athlete or you're a vital, healthy person. Or like, maybe you want to belong to a big gym where they have tons of classes and every day you go and you try something new and it's whatever you're in the mood for. Like, you're not going to lock yourself in. Um, cause rebels, it's like, what kind of person am I, what's my identity? And then like, what do I feel like doing that? Those are what, and, and also like the idea of like, if you don't do something about this, your health is going to decline. You're going to be dependent on pain, pain medication. You're not going to be highly mobile. You're not going to be able to travel the way you want your choices are going to shrink and you're going to become dependent on other people. And like, it's not going to be as much fun to fly. You're not going to, you know, you're, you're not going to have that same sense of possibility. That's really high value for rebels. So they don't want to be controlled. So that's, that's the way you would do it for a rebel.
0: And a questioner, so, yes. it's like,
1: this is the most efficient way to do it. This is what's going to work for you. You believe in this, you've bought into this maybe you're going to customize it for yourself questioners love to customize it's an experiment they love to biohack you're going to do this for a month and see how you feel if you feel great you'll keep doing it if there's some if you don't then you'll try the next thing
0: which is like it's it's you having the ability to find the leverage that you need to make the change yes Yes. yeah I love that I love that idea the um uh, I feel like with any of these are you do you know your Enneagram number are you into that
1: Oh, I knew it. Am I a one or a four? Maybe or one and a three. I think I'm like uh, it in there.
0: Well, so a one is a perfectionist, and a three is an achiever. Mm-hmm. So do you, which one do you think you are more? I think I'm usually, a three,
1: but then like, but the one is somehow close.
0: So there's a there's always a wing. Yeah, there's a and wing. the wing has to be the number next to you. So the, the <laughs> I know way too much about ideogram. So a two would be the helper, mm. and a four would be the individualist. So you have to, you're like very into your Okay, I got to go and back e- and take yeah. This,
1: yeah to get I, I'm it. just
0: so curious with these tendencies, if there are num- like with the Enneagram, if there are any sort of overlap, like these numbers tend to be these you know, t- tend to be upholders. I don't, I would think like just based on the description of upholder, I feel like it's sort of a three mentality, but maybe that's just because I'm identifying as myself.
1: Well, um, you know, I, I love all these personality frameworks like you, like I love them, but I feel like they each have kind of their own nuance and their own strengths. And then when you try to match them up, sometimes you kind of lose some of what makes that
0: framework special yeah interesting and so insightful.
1: I, yeah mm-hmm. so or like uh what is it myers-briggs i have a friend who's like an expert in myers-briggs and he did this whole analysis for me but i was kind of like but i think it's kind of missing the point of myers-briggs to do this i feel like it you know <laughs> but the <laughs> yeah. one thing i'll say is not true people constantly are trying to tell me that the tendencies correspond to that houses of hogwarts
0: and this is just oh my gosh two. are you kidding and that's here, hilarious here
1: is why not Hermione, Fred. George, they are all Gryffindor. Yes, they are not all the same tendency. Absolutely not. You know, so that I will say no. That
0: is hilarious. Oh my (laughs) god! I have not had anyone questioning that writing into my own work. So congratulations. Well, Game of Thrones.
1: I tried to go through the entire like all the people in Game of Thrones. I mean, you can see the tendencies in action. Like they're they're very blatant. Even fictional people have tendencies
0: often. Uh, we, I know I'm going out of order in the order that you wrote them, but can we talk about habits? What do you know about habits? What can you share with us about habits? So yeah,
1: better than before is my book about habit change. And what I do is I identify the 21 strategies that we can use to make or break habits. And sometimes people are like, 21 is too many, like, give me five, but actually (laughs) it's good to have 21 because some of them work really well for some people, but not for other people. So you want to know everything that you can choose from so you can really cherry pick the ones That are the ones that you respond to best. And so it's like, okay, like the strategy of abstaining. So for people who are facing strong temptation, some people do really like me do really well when we give something up altogether, it's easier for us to have none than to have a little bit. But then some Mm -hmm. people do better when they have a little bit or they have something sometimes and they get kind of panicky and rebellious if they give something up altogether. So the strategy of abstaining is a very, very powerful strategy for some people. And then for other people, it's not effective at all. So it's kind of like, is this on your list or off your list? And maybe you've never tried it. So try it and see if it helps you. You will either find it like, oh, my gosh, it's so much easier to abstain than I ever knew. It sounds hard, but it's actually easier if you're an abstainer. And that's really true. Or you're like, no, this is kind of like making me wig out. This is not my way. And then you're like, okay, well now you know something about yourself. Abstaining doesn't work for you. But mm-hmm. and then some of them like the strategy of convenience, strategy of inconvenience, very powerful strategies that are basically universal, or the strategy of other people. We're all influenced by other people's strategies. So some of them are universal, but then some of them are more um, are more. Uh, some people have an affinity to more than others.
0: So good. What are the habits like that you think make the biggest difference Ooh. in your day to day?
1: Well, one of the strategies is called the strategy of foundation. And it talks about like the four habits that are kind of at the core of self-mastery. And self-mastery is something that we want a lot of. And you write about this all the time in your own vocabulary. Like we want to be able to meet our aims for ourselves. We want to keep our promises to ourselves. We want to like set our aims in the right places so that we, you know, make ourselves happier, healthier, more productive, more creative. Um, And the strategy of foundation is um, to get enough sleep. To get some exercise, which is not like an hour spin class, it's like a twenty minute walk.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, to eat right, uh, eat right, which means like don't let yourself get too hungry. Weirdly, a lot of times people eat too much because they've gotten too hungry. So you skip breakfast, you skip lunch, and then you eat everything in the vending machine or yeah. Uh, um, or and then also in this led to my book, outer order, inner calm, was to um, create order because, and I was very surprised by that that the degree to which people's People felt like if I get control over the stuff in my life, I feel more in control of myself, Um, which is kind of irrational, but it's a useful illusion. Um, But that often it's like, imagine yourself walking, you're trying to eat healthfully and you walk into a kitchen. If you walk into a kitchen where everything's put away and everything's wrapped up and the cookies are on a high shelf and the cabinets are closed and the counters are clean and the lights are off and you walk in there at 10 p.m., you're going to be less likely to stick your hand into a bag of potato chips than if you walk in there and there's like stuff everywhere and there's dishes in the sink and there's like ba- the, the potato chip bag is just open on the counter and the the leftovers aren't, haven't been put in the fridge yet. It's just easier to like, just go in there. You, you know, you don't have that set, set, like your environment isn't supporting your self mastery.
0: Um, Absolutely. So those,
1: those are the four. I think if you get those, and of course people will be like, yeah, but my whole problem is I can't get, I, I, I can't form the habit of getting enough sleep. That's what the rest of the book is about. But if you can get these four things nailed down, you've made major, major progress. Um, into, Absolutely. Don't, do you agree?
0: Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I mean, I feel like, uh, so In uh, we have something called Five to Thrive. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so it's the same. It, yeah. And what is amazing to me is the more I have the opportunity to meet authors and business leaders and the people that I admire, and you get to have those conversations, not on camera, but just, you know, sitting around beforehand or after the podcast, you it is so shocking to me how much people I admire have a lot of the same. We do a lot of the same things. Mm -hmm. Like we all might have our own vocabulary for those things, but we're doing the same stuff. I was sitting with a couple of people the other day talking about, morning routine, which is so important for me. And they're like, Oh my gosh, I do that in my morning routine. And Oh, yep. That's my thing too. And it's, I feel like the reason if you're listening to this, you're like, yeah, this is not the first time I've heard someone tell me that I need to get enough sleep. Yeah, Like there's a reason that you keep hearing about it. Yeah, And it, it trips me out. Is it, do you think there's a certain amount of sleep we're supposed to have or just what is right for our body? Because I love the rock. That's random. I love The Rock. Yeah. I think he's great. But he's always talking – like there's a bunch of guys that I admire who are like, yeah, I got four hours of sleep last night. And I think I would actually be dead. Yeah. I am asleep by 9 p.m. every night of my life. Yeah, yeah. So what what's the deal with that? Do you feel like we can sort of it work whatever works best for you or there is an actual scientific amount that we need to be getting?
1: Well, that's a great question. Um, there's a fascinating book called Internal time if people are really interested in like chronotypes and all this, I love that I love that book so much um, by Roneberg. Um, but what it, apparently the research shows that there are true short sleepers, but they're very few in number and short sleepers mm-hmm. are people who need about four hours of sleep. But if you are a true short sleeper, You do not nap. You do not jack yourself up on sugar and caffeine. Uh, You do not like instantly fall asleep the minute you get in on an airplane or you're in a movie theater or like you're sitting, you know, like you're sitting on a couch reading a story to your daughter and then all of a sudden you're asleep. True short, true short sleepers only need a very little, but they are a tiny percentage. And there's a a lot of people who are pretending like they're short sleepers. They'll say things like I've trained myself to get by on four hours of sleep or something. Mm. But when when researchers study these people, they find that they are quite impaired. It affects your memory. It affects your immune function. It affects your, um, your focus. Um, I think like for me, it really affects kind of my irritability, you know, like just how much things bother me. Yeah, um,
0: totally. Yeah, my
1: sense of perspective, my sense of humor. Um, and uh, and so, and but people kind of don't realize how off their game they are because they get used to it. And so they don't realize how bad it is. Another problem with sleep um, is what they call social jet lag. And this is if you stay up like three or four hours later on Friday and Saturday night, and then you sleep in, it is as if you're flying from East Coast to West Coast every week. Because your body, you know, consistency, like you say, you're yeah. going to bed every night at night. Yeah. That is really best for the body because then everything gets into that circadian rhythm and like it, you, you develop, you, you know, your body is really adjusted. Um, that is
0: such a good analogy. I never thought about yeah. like that. That is such a good analogy.
1: Social jet lag. Um, and so, but I think more and more people are really waking up up to how sleeping and exercise aren't just about like they're, they go so much deeper into our health our longevity, our, our cognitive function, uh, our memory, like all these things much more than even we realized, like it's, research is just like every day. I feel like I, I, I'm reading a new study about like, Oh, by the way, it turns out if you exercise, you get an, I, I like, you know, emailed my daughter in college, like exercise improves memory function immediately. You know, I'm like, <laughs> you're an exam period. Like you got to go for a run. Um, Yeah. So these things are very important. And I think a lot of people kind of pride themselves on like, ooh, I don't need sleep because I'm such a, you know, I'm so hardcore. It's like, yeah, you're probably really not on your A game the way you think you are.
0: So I have this theory that if you want to know what an author is going through in their life, Mm. read their most recent book. uh, Do you feel like as you've written your way through all of these studies and done all of this research that you were, I mean, obviously with the happiness project, but are you trying to answer the questions that you have and then sharing it with the audience? Or do you feel like there are some books that you've written that you felt like the community really asked for and you were trying to help them solve?
1: Well, interesting. Well, you you know, they say research is me search. Um, and definitely (laughs) I'm always trying to understand myself and kind of what I think through writing. It's like, what do I think about this? I don't know until I read a book about it. But, but, um, but I will say that with outer order, that was something where I'm like, I feel this way, but also other, like I was seeing that other, I was like, I thought this was just like my private, like thing that I got such, such a kick out of creating outer order. And like, I begged my friends to let me come over and help them clear, clear their closets, but it's actually quite widespread. And so that was something where I was like, you know what, I'm not the only one that feels like this. Um, like so I was responding or like with better better than before the book about habit change one of the things that puzzled me after the happiness project and happier at home came out was people kept saying to me well how did you get yourself to follow all those resolutions and I'd say well Mm -hmm. you know I just picked things that I thought would make me happier and then I did them and if they made me happier I kept doing them and they'd look at me really puzzled and they'd say but how did you get yourself to do them and I was like I don't understand what the problem is here you probably feel the (laughs) same way is it Rachel So, so part of it I was trying to understand like they are experiencing something or being puzzled by something that i don't experience so i was trying to answer a question for myself but it was a question that was prompted by uh, a response i was getting from my readers
0: i am taking my four children away this weekend to go skiing Market.com slash rach thrive market.com slash rach. I'm curious. This is taking sort of talking about the business side of things. If if you'll allow me to dig into this with you, I'm curious. Um, and you're going to understand why I'm asking this question what it has felt like to uh, you know. I'm I'm guessing and you tell me if I'm wrong and you can totally punch me in the face if I am. Is the Happiness Project it was a it was a huge like uh, like did you anticipate it to do as well as it did? Let's start there. Like no. were you were you anticipating number 1 New York Times bestseller, no. millions of copies sold? No. And then A, I'd love to dig into how does that feel for you? And B, then how does it feel to write follow-up books? Cuz this is the world that I'm living in now. Yeah. And there are so few people who understand what it feels like to have had a hit nobody expected, let alone yeah. themselves. Yeah. And then how do you keep doing this work when the chances of ever living up to that thing again feel nigh impossible?
1: Well, you did. So you've done it twice. But again, but it's like, you're not going to, you know, you're like, can I go 10? I don't know. <laughs> no, um, no, no. You know, I, a part of it is like, I just take so much pleasure in the research and in the writing and the kind of figuring things out that I kind of am more driven by that. Like, mm-hmm. I remember the habit book, I my I was trying to get my mother to exercise and I, you know, I am a happiness bully. My sister calls me that. Um, and so I was trying <laughs> to figure out like, why was she not exercising? Cause she kept saying she wanted to. And I kept looking at books about habit formation and they were very interesting and everything. I'm like, but nobody's talking about how to change a habit. Like they're all skipping the most important thing. And I kept being, and then finally I was like, I need to write that book. I mm-hmm. want the answer. And nobody has written yeah. that book. I don't get it. Like, where like how is like how is how is it possible that book doesn't exist? But it didn't. So for me, it was like, oh my gosh, I cannot wait to find out the answer to this question. Yeah. And then the Four Tennessee is I was like, oh my gosh, like this is this is real. Like I stumbled across this thing, but holy cow! Like I really think this is predictive and, and consistent. And like, I, I, you know, so for me, a lot of it is the, the intellectual excitement of Mm -hmm. pursuing something. And of course I hope that it resonates deeply with an audience and I do everything that I can. And I kind of hope that the things that are really exciting and interesting to me will be things that are exciting and interesting to other people. But I don't really think about kind of like the commercialness of it because that's that's you can't gauge that. I don't will throw you
0: off, absolutely. Yeah. Well and, it, and the, the irony too with with Girl Stop Apologizing was that I had written that before Wash Your Face came out. Thank God. Ah, Thank God because if I had my first draft done. Because yes. if I hadn't if I hadn't done that, I, I don't like I don't even know if I would have written another book by now. Yeah. Because I would have been so afraid of creating again, because it's impossible. Uh, I Like, it's just impossible. How do you, you can't. And so I love this idea, especially because so many of our listeners are, um, they, they focus so heavily on the goal. And one of the things we're talking about a lot lately is falling in love with the process. Yes. Yes. Like, the the goal could be a decade from now. You could be so far away from your goal, but you can learn how to enjoy today by enjoying the process. And I love that you're grounding yourself in the joy that you find in the research.
1: Well, it's funny that you say that because my father says that all the time. Enjoy the process. And it's actually <laughs> one of my 12 personal commandments because it's so true. Because Um, because the thing is, if you enjoy the process, even if like I wrote my book, uh, 40 ways to look at JFK, you you do not know this, but when a book fails, uh, in the marketplace, what they tell you is it did not find its audience. That's how they put it. So that book did not find its audience, (laughs) but I had such a joyful time where I loved writing that book. I mean, I just loved writing. I love writing all of my books. And so I'm like, would I not have done it? No, I would not have wanted to miss out on the experience of writing that book because I enjoyed the process so much. The fact that it didn't work out the way I wanted was, was less upsetting. It was like, it was bad, oh, yeah. but it was not bitter. Whereas if yes. you're just forcing yourself towards some goal and you don't enjoy the process, well, if things don't work out the way you want, then you've kind of lost everything because you've neither, you yes. you you hated the process. You haven't liked the process and you didn't achieve it. But here's the thing also, I think is helpful, like to your listeners that you're talking about is Focus on um, on. Don't focus on outcomes. Focus on actions, because you can't say I'm going to sit down and write a best selling book because you can't control whether something's a bestseller. Absolutely, but you can say. I can write every day, I can write or whatever your process is. I can hire an outside editor. I can join a writers group. I can read widely in my in my area so I make sure that I'm completely like up to speed. Like what are the things that you can do? What are the actions that you can take that might contribute to that outcome? But if you focus on the outcome, you can't control the outcome. And so it's kind of yeah. a waste of your mental energy because I think sometimes people think if they just whip themselves up into a, des- a frenzy of desire, that that will somehow speed their way there. But I think actually it drains and distracts people. Often. Yeah.
0: I, no, I love that. Um, I like to remind the audience and the world that Girl Washer Face was my sixth Books. There you go. See, there were five yes. books before that that nobody cared about, yep. and the irony is that I like I never I literally I have a full time job I run a company I yep. never wanted being an author to be my job because I love it it's my creative outlet it's this thing that I do because it lights my heart on fire because I am a book nerd and I thought man wouldn't that be so cool to be able to create a book yourself so for me, it's always, always about love of the word. And the second that you start to obsess over the audience or the fans or what the world thinks or whether or not it makes like the second you do that, you lose it. You lose like the joy of what this thing is for you. And I think that's true. My favorite books is Big Magic by Liz Gilbert, where she talks about this idea that once you start to attach Money or fame or success to the thing to like to the creative process that you love, it starts to be more about what that creative thing can do for you than whether or not it's bringing you joy.
1: But so now, so in your case, now me. that the books are so wildly successful, do you feel like your attitude towards writing feels less joyful and more like, uh, more like this is my day job, or how are well, you managing I, so, that
0: transition in your yeah, head? Yeah, so this. This is, um, it's really interesting. So I have for, for however many years I write uh, for the longest time, I wrote a book a year. That was my process. I can, I can do that. And then after I got through edits on stop apologizing, I was going to start the new because I already knew what it was. And I am so grateful. I've never done it in my life, but I was like, Nope, I'm going to need, I'm going to need another full year. I can't write right now. I'm not in a place, I'm not in the headspace that I can do this. And I'm so grateful that I did that because I think if I had, if I had, if I had kept on that schedule, I would have written with bitterness because I was so tired. You know how it is. Well, weren't you just, weren't you
1: just busy morning tonight doing promotion for your book? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yes. so there's no bandwidth. I like, yeah, yeah, there's
0: no – I don't have the capability yeah. to do that for you guys. So I, I'm i taking the time and I'm so grateful because it, it feels fun again and it feels like what it's supposed to be. I do think one of the things that is really interesting is – and I don't know if you feel like this, but because I came from a different genre and I love fiction, fiction is the my passion. I, I just had this wild idea for a nonfiction book and it worked. And now that's the thing that everybody wants. Yes. And so that's an interesting um, area for me to play in of um. Do you follow sort of this creative like idea that you have in your heart or do you keep doing the thing that is commercially successful? Well,
1: it's interesting that you just brought up Elizabeth Gilbert, because she's one of the rare people who has had she's a novelist and a memoirist yep. and a nonfiction writer. Yep. And that's unusual. It's very and it, and certainly in the publishing industry, it's like they kind of want you to stay where your audience is, your natural audience yes. is. And yes. so there yeah. can be external uh, expectations um,
0: yeah. Well, I'm trying to think of who else. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't Anne know.
1: Thing- and Lamont, I think, I think yeah. until only recently really consider herself primarily a fiction writer, but her nonfiction yeah. has always been more successful than her fiction.
0: Yeah. Uh, and the 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 thing that i hear from my other author friends is it's you know then there's that question well would you write under a pseudonym but because for so long so f- there were so many female authors who didn't get to write using their own name and so there's i'm like screw that like i'm not going to i'm not going to hide away so that it makes more sense to other people so i don't know it's just an interesting yeah place to be in for sure. But I think for me, it always comes back to, do I have the idea for the next book? I never want to force it. And I, I don't know about you, but usually when I'm kind of rounding third on a first draft is when i start to daydream about it's like mm. it's like an old man like daydreaming about a younger woman instead of his wife you're like oh this manuscript it's the hardest like so you start to daydream yeah. about something that's sexier and new and oh, so you know
1: who yeah. who does that hilariously is like i'm i'm obsessed with the book a writer's diary by Virginia Woolf. It's like her after she died, her husband Leonard Wolf went through and pulled out from her extremely voluminous journals everything related to her writing process. So you can read just like it's like oh, wow. highly real from her like eight volume thing that's all about the writing process. And Virginia Woolf did that all the time, she would like cheat. <laughs> on her main project with like yes. with like her secret illicit project. And then pretty yes. soon that project had to become like the real project. And then she'd start cheating on something else and it's <laughs> constantly in her thing. She's like, Oh, I'm sneaking away from this to work on that. And it's like, it, it actually worked for her, you know, because it was yeah. it kind of kept, I think, her her creativity flowing because she wasn't feeling trapped into one project, but she it was like throughout her life it was this constant kind of she was always berating herself for procrastinating about you know one one project. But and then you're like you're Virginia Wolf man do whatever you want but <laughs> do um, whatever you need. But yeah. it, but it's interesting that you have that experience as well.
0: Yeah. Do you um so when remind me when the last book came out? It's recent, right? March fifth, twenty nineteen oh, was Outer Order yeah, calm. It is. I remember because I was doing a binge on the podcast. I realized Ah. I listened. Like twenty five episodes Ugh. in a row when I was on a business trip, uh-uh. I get in, I do that with podcasts where I'm like, give me everything. Yeah. Um, and I remembered the pre order campaign because I remember coming back to my team and being like, man, Gretchen Rubin's pre order campaign is really smart. Oh, like, you're so, so nice smart. to say so. Oh no, my gosh. it is because you the idea we have had a ton of success with doing some kind of video or course, and I know you did that. But the genius thing that you did that I never thought of was giving a monetary value to what you were giving them for free. Yeah. Like I that that was so smart because we want to serve and we want to give this to the audience, but it's like, hey, if you were paying for this somewhere else, yeah. this is what it would cost you. And I just thought it was such a smart way to add value to the buyers and also give them a taste of what they were about to experience with the book.
1: Oh, well, you're so nice to say so. Wow, that's yeah, great. Thank good, you.
0: Good marketing. Um, so how has that launch been for you? And what are the things that you have loved hearing most from the audience as they've read through it?
1: Well, whenever I go speak, my favorite part is the q a because i love hearing what people are thinking and i love and often people will tell me like the most hilarious examples too and so like it's really fun for me to get out um and i love going around i love talking to people around the country it's so interesting just to see like these little pockets of the world that you know otherwise you wouldn't you know be going to like to step into that universe um And so that's been really, really interesting. I mean, one of the things that's, that's very clear is that for many people, they're kind of, and I think this is why the subject of outer order is kind of having a moment right now is there are people like you, you have four kids, so you're in the season of stuff in your own home. You've got all these kids that are generating all their own clutter and their own stuff and you have to manage that. But then also a lot of people are either downsizing themselves or they're dealing with um, uh, more, more like the, the previous generation dying or downsizing and so stuff is kind of coming down. So they have stuff kind of coming up and stuff coming down. And people just are like, I want I want these things to get into hands that can use them. I I don't want this Mm -hmm. stuff to go to waste. I don't want to dump it in a landfill. It's good stuff. I can't use it. I really want to give it to somebody who can use it, but that's hard. It's hard to do that. And in some communities, it's easier than others, and some things it's easier than other things. But I just over and over hear people saying, "Like, how do I manage this? Because I don't, I don't want to seem ungrateful, and like, I don't want all these things." Or like, people being lavished with gifts from grandparents, and it's like, I love, I, I don't want to sound ungrateful, and I know that I'm so fortunate that I have that I have all this love and and being lavished on me and my children. But we can't manage this, and you're not helping. You know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the, so for you, you were saying earlier, you're someone who like you want to organize, you want to help your friends, yes. you want to get in there and get it like you're all about the Marie Kondo, like <laughs> get it together, get some order into your life. Be, because I feel like it's it's exactly what you were saying earlier. You can't have the success. You can't reach for the goal. You can't, at least you can't do that with a calm center if the environment around you is chaos.
1: However, I will note that there are a small group of people who are truly clutter blind. So like my sister, who's the co-host of the Happier Podcast, yeah. like, there are some people where they really don't see it. And it's amazing to me. And I'm like, I don't understand. How does this not bother you? But truly, it's like they don't see it. They don't care. I mean, my, how funny it, they just it's just they don't care. I mean, and my sister, you know, I, you know, to me, I'm like. Why is it not just as easy to go through your mail every day and get rid of the junk mail (laughs) than to leave it here for 10 days? I don't know. I mean, and yet she doesn't care. And so yeah, it
0: works for her. Yeah.
1: And even if it doesn't really work for her, it's just like that's that's how she is. And so there is this small number of people. And I think we kind of have to just cut those people some slack because – it's not a priority for them. Like they don't get just like we don't get them. They don't get us. Um, so that, but that's yeah. a small number of people. You're right. For most people, outer order really does contribute to inner calm and focus and a sense of possibility. Um, and, and for men, and I mean, I, I absolutely feel this way myself. This is why I force myself on my friends because if I am clearing their clutter, I get like the contact tie of seeing all yes. this order emerge, but it's not my stuff. So I don't have any of the emotional upheaval that comes from like going through your own things. So it's like that's all amazing. the upside. Um, but I mean, like the other night, this is like a month ago, I couldn't sleep in the middle of the night. And this is what the sleep experts say is they're like, if you can't sleep, get up from your bed and do some kind of quiet activity. It's better than just sitting there stewing about how you're not going to sleep. So I, I mm-hmm. never believed this, but I've recently been trying it. and Yes, it is true. So I got up and I was like, OK, what am I going to do with myself? I decided for whatever reason to clean up my utility closet, which had sort of gone <laughs> overlooked. And I mean, for the next month. I just kept walking by the utility closet to gloat. It just, I felt so good. I'm like, look at how good my utility (laughs) closet looks. This is amazing. It's completely disproportionate. And yet you're right. I mean, for most people, that's how it works.
0: I love that. I, I look that we've only talked about four. There's so many books. If you have not listened to Gretchen Rubin on audio, if you have not picked up a book the last time you were at Target or Barnes and Noble or grabbed one on Amazon, you guys, like take your pick. There's so much information that's out there. Gretchen, I'm so grateful that you spent time with us today and that frankly you've spent so much time devoted to finding answers. Oh because I think that is a that is a massive deal for people who are looking for some way, some tactic, some clue to figure out how to get to the next place. And I know that you've been a profound influence in my life. And I'm positive that there are readers who will say the same and readers who don't even know yet and are about to have their lives changed by your work. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Oh, thank you. It was so fun to talk to you. I feel like we could talk for the next 17 hours. So yes. so well, we're much gonna, for We're going to go on that vacation. Next, when we go to the Poconos. So, yeah.
1: Yes, we'll say. <laughs> but Perfect. we'll go to bed at 9 p.m.
0: Oh, of course. That's what we need to
1: do. <laughs> I'll be right there with you. Ask Sherwin Williams during the March Spring Sale, March 15th through the 25th, and get 35% off paints and stains with prices starting at 28.92. That means 35% off our most popular color family, blue. Psychologists have found it to be soothing and relaxing, which makes it especially great for bedrooms and bathrooms. And, of course, get 35% off all of our other colors. Shop the sale online or visit your neighborhood Sherwin-Williams store. Click the banner to learn more. Retail sales only. Some exclusions apply. See store for details.